This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we've been going through this book uh, passage by passage, just consecutive expository preaching. If you have a Bible, um, you're going to find 1 Corinthians in, in the New Testament. It's going to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you'll see Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. If you're using one of the provided Bibles, I believe it starts on page 955. 955. And if you don't have a Bible, just consider that one a gift from us to you. We would love for you to take that home, to read it, and to uh, be edified by it. So it's going to help you if you are looking at the passage as we go. I'm going to start reading in verse 17, and we will go until verse 24. Today we'll be in verses 17 through 24 of chapter 7. We read, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers... In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, as Ben said, for calling us from death to life. Thank you for bringing to yourself a people. Thank you that we get to be a local expression of that people. Lord, we pray that this morning we would worship you faithfully in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have built your church. You promised to do so in Matthew 16. And Lord, we pray that for as long as you choose to use us, that we would be a faithful example of that church, a faithful model of it. Lord, we pray for other churches. We thank you for them. We pray that they would stand firm in the gospel. Other churches in the area, I think particularly of Proclamation Church in Mount Vernon and Redemption Hill Church in Galloway, two young churches similar to us, God, we pray that they would preach the word faithfully, that they would guard the truth, that they would be filled with boldness to engage their community with the gospel, and that you and your kindness would grant them continued favor in their respective communities. Lord, we pray those same things for us. We pray that as we look at this passage, we'd be satisfied in you with wherever you place us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things, as you, as, you, as you get older, I'm not terribly old, but I've been through enough life stages to know that this is pretty accurate, and I've heard those who are older than me say similar, similar things, is that what you begin to recognize is that, at least in our culture, is that we're always looking to the next thing. We're always looking ahead. So when I was in middle school, I was really excited to get to high school. That's, that's where it's at, high school. And got to high school, man, I really wanted to get my driver's, driver's license. Then once, once I get my driver's license, then I'm free. Well, no, then 
then it's really college. Once I get to college, that's, that's when I'll have my freedom. That's when life will really begin the way that I want it to begin. Well, no, maybe it's when I start my career. Maybe it's I actually have some money in my bank account. Or maybe when you get your own place, find a spouse, or you have kids, and then you need to get a larger space for kids. Or maybe it's when the kids move out, and then you'll be able to really enjoy your life. Maybe it's when the kids are easier. Maybe, maybe it's when you retire. We're always looking for the, the next stage, the next phase in our lives. And it's, it's easy to consciously or even subconsciously say, I'll give God more faithful service when he gives me that life stage. God, I'll, I'll be more faithful. I'll be more sacrificial. I'll, I'll serve you more when, when you give me that life stage. But you, you act first. You give me that, and then, I'll, and then I will be faithful. And so the main idea for this entire chapter 7, what we stated last week, is Paul is, is getting at that we are to called, called to serve God faithfully in whatever circumstance he has called you. It's the main idea for the whole chapter. That we are to serve God faithfully in whatever circumstance God has called you, whatever life stage you are in. And so last week, we looked at uh, the first 16 verses of chapter 7, where Paul addressed those who are married, and Paul addressed those who are single. And now this week, we look at the social standing of these Corinthian believers, whether it's ethnic social standing or whether it's economic. And so Paul, he's, he's writing here to the Corinthian church, and so there's some context before we jump in. And this church is, a, is a, an early church. It's only been around for a few years. And Paul had gone there. He had preached the gospel. People had responded in faith. So there's spiritual death, now there's spiritual life, and there's a church that's birthed. And Paul receives a report that there's some crazy things going on in this, in this church that she founded. And he has a concern for them. And so he writes to them. And then he hears another report. And so he writes to them again. And this, 1 Corinthians, is actually his second letter to them, even though it's called 1 Corinthians. And Corinth was, was a very transient city. It was on a, a prime trading route. And so very transient. It was a cultural mixing pot. There were various religious practices, much sexual immorality. There was a lot of corruption that was going on. And we saw in the first few chapters here several different kinds of problems that Paul addresses. Now I'll skim through them very quickly here. So the first four chapters we saw unbiblical divisions. Chapter 5 we saw the Corinthian church tolerating egregious sin and they were proud of it. We saw in chapter 6 Paul addressed the fact that there were lawsuits going on within the church. And later in chapter 6 we see Paul addressing their desire to justify sexual sin. And then in chapter 7 as we'll see here, there's confusion around marriage, singleness, circumcision, slavery, and then later with engagement and with the widows. And so the theme that Paul is trying to push forward to the church in Corinth, as he was aware of all of these different factions and divisions and problems within the church, the theme that he's trying to push forward is that you as a people need to be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. United in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see in this passage is we see the word called used eight times. So I've titled the message. I don't, I don't put a lot of effort into message titles. And so sometimes they're strong, sometimes they're weak. This time, eh, it's just, it is what it is. And so eight times you see the word called. And so titled this message, God's High Calling. God's High Calling. And we see it played out in three different ways. 
we see, and you can see this in your bulletin, the three different points. A call to obedience, a call to serve, and a call to remain. A call to obedience, a call to serve, and a call to remain. And so that first one, a call to obedience, we're going to look at the first three verses there. And so verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, verse 17, if you want to know the entire point of chapter 7, it's right there in verse 17. Let each person lead the light that the Lord has assigned to him. And he says, this is my rule in all the churches. This isn't just for you, Corinth. This is what I teach all churches. Each one should lead the light that the Lord has assigned to him. Now, that word assigned could be translated as dealt out, apportioned, distributed. We recognize that God has assigned a life to each of the believers in Corinth. And he's assigned a life to each of us today. God assigns our station in life, which we see here in verse 17. He also assigns our faith. See in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul's telling, telling them, don't think too highly of yourself. God has assigned your faith. Praise God for it. He's the one who's brought you from death to life. It wasn't you resurrecting yourself. He's also, so he's assigned our station in life. He's assigned our faith. He's also assigned our influence. If you look in 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we read, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So God has put us where he's put us. He's given us the faith that we have, and then he's assigned us with influence where he has placed us. Matthew Henry points out, he says, our states and circumstances in this world are distributions of divine providence. Our states and circumstances in this world are distributions of divine providence. So if you're a Christian in the room, God has given to you, God has assigned you the life that you have. He's assigned you your faith, and he's assigned you the influence that you have where he has placed you, to use the faith that he has given you to influence others, to bring them to Christ, to scatter seeds in hopes that it will fall on fertile soil. This was Paul's teaching in all the churches in verse 17. And we could just be done right there. But I know you expect me to talk a little bit longer, so I will do so. And I've got a lot more notes. So. But Paul is essentially getting at, hey, don't, don't begrudge your life. God's put you where he's put you for a reason. Use your life. Leverage it for the sake of God's glory. Let me see in verse 18. Paul illustrates this point he's making with circumcision. So what, something we need to understand about circumcision is that in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his physical people Israel. And to be circumcised was an act of obedience. Whenever God would make a covenant, he would, he would give signs as a reminder of what that covenant is. So I, I had the privilege yesterday to officiate Greg and Lexi Guidarelli's wedding. And part of that marriage ceremony, part of that covenant that was being enacted, was them exchanging signs, rings. 
And the sign that you were part of God's people in the Old Testament was that each male was circumcised. It signified union to God's covenant people, the ethnic Jews. And so now, here, as Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as God's Messiah, they are being known as blasphemers. The Jews who did not agree that Jesus was the Messiah are upset with the Jews who do agree that Jesus is the Messiah. And so some of the Jews were trying to distance themselves from those non-believing Jews by removing the marks of circumcision. Which, studying through this, you'd think there's no way of doing that, but in fact, there actually was a procedure to do such thing. And Paul was saying, don't do that. God has placed you among the Jews for you to reach the Jews. On the other hand, Gentiles, who claimed Christ as Messiah, were encouraged to receive circumcision by the believing Jews to receive perhaps the full blessing. So one of the things that we like to do is go to the Columbus Zoo. And our family, we have a pass to the Columbus Zoo, and one of the things that our, our girls love to do every single time is go on a ride. So we say we can do one ride when we go. And what I am reminded of, every time that we go, that our pass does not cover rides. So we have to pay to go on that ride. And if you want to go on a ride, if you want to feed the giraffes, if you want to go to the 4D theater, if you want to do various different things, you have to, you have, to have a gold pass. But the regular pass doesn't get you that. Essentially, what these Jews were saying is, is hey, yeah, you're, you're welcome to come in. You're, you're welcome to receive God's blessing. But if you want full access, you have the gold pass. You need to be circumcised as well. Then you have full access to God's covenant blessing. And so some of the Gentiles were looking to be circumcised. Paul is saying, no, stop, stop. God has placed you where he's placed you intentionally. He's called you and assigned you the life that he has assigned with great purpose. And he, he lays this out in, in Romans 2 a little bit more because we, we just I explained the Old Testament sign, circumcision, that was a way of outwardly showing that you were part of God's people. Now in the New Testament, Paul's getting ready to explain this, but I want to go to Romans 2 first. If you want to flip there, Romans 2, chapter 20, or excuse me, verse 28 and 29. So Romans just a few pages back. Big number in the Bible is going to be the chapter, and the little number is the verses. So look for the big number two and the little verses, little numbers 28 and 29. But Romans 2, 28 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, his ethnic family, but from God, his spiritual family. So Old Testament Israel was a physical people marked by physical outward signs. New Testament Israel is a spiritual people, and the sign is spiritual. Instead of circumcision of the flesh, it's circumcision of the heart. Union with Christ, Jesus Christ being the only Israelite, to perfectly fulfill God's law, union with him inherits you perfect fulfillment to the law. And so if you are in Christ, you are seen as a perfect Israelite. God made this covenant with Israel, said, obey my law. They consistently failed. And then he sends his son to be a perfect 
representative of man. He is an Israelite, and he perfectly fulfills God's law. And so therefore, if you are in Christ, you are seen as one who has perfectly fulfilled the law. And so God's covenant people is now no longer an outward physical people, but it's an inward spiritual people. All those who are spiritually united to Christ. And so your ethnic heritage is what he's getting at with these Corinthians. He said, your ethnic heritage doesn't dictate your ability to serve Christ. Christians are not defined by a common past. We all have various different stories about how we came to know Christ, for those who are in Christ. We didn't all have the same past, but we are united by a common future. Who we'll be united with for all eternity, where we are headed. And so regardless of our heritage, we are called to keep God's commands with the life that he has assigned. He says in verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. We are called to obey because we are united to the one who perfectly obeyed. And if we are united to him, then we will have a desire to obey God's commands as Christ did perfectly. So God has called you and God has placed you to make much of his name through you, wherever that is. God has called you and placed you to make much of his name through you. He called the Jews in Corinth to himself so that they may bring other Jews along with them. He called the Gentiles to himself and placed them around fellow Gentiles in order to bring more Gentiles to himself. So brother, sister, view your calling. View your placement where God has placed you as God's good providence. Ask him, if you're not sure how that exactly is in this moment, ask him to help you understand. Lord, how do you want to use me where you've placed me in this job or in these classes or in this neighborhood? How do you want to use me in this church? Ask God for wisdom and guidance as to how you can make much of his name where he has placed you. I wonder how many of you in here feel like your past is keeping you from serving Christ fully. As some of these Jews felt like the marks of circumcision was not sufficient and they wanted to remove those marks or some Gentiles feel like they needed to have the marks of circumcision. I wonder how some here may feel that their past is keeping them from serving Christ fully. Are you waiting for a certain life stage before faithfully serving the Lord? Maybe when you're done with college or begin that career. Maybe when you find a spouse, have children. Maybe when your children are less needy. I wonder, are you waiting for a certain stage? to serve Christ faithfully and fully. Be reminded that Jesus alone has kept the commandments of God perfectly. We are called to, regardless of whatever stage we're in, we're called to obey and called to obey perfectly. Let's be reminded that we are united to the one who obeyed perfectly, and he's the only one. And we will fall. We must confess, must repent, and pursue holiness. But we must look to the one who has com completed these things and obeyed God's commands perfectly on our behalf. And so there's a call to obedience on each of our lives. But second, there's a call to service. Look with me in verse 20. Paul says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So verse 17 says, lead the life that God has assigned to you. And then he repeats something very similar. He, he says, lead the life, then he provides an illustration. And then he says, to remain in the condition in which he was called. And then he'll provide a, another illustration. But he's moving now from their ethnic background to their social background. 
Your social status, Paul says, doesn't dictate your ability to live faithfully as a Christian. Your ethnic status doesn't, doesn't dictate your ability to be faithful. Neither does your social status. And so he provides these two illustrations. The first was with circumcision, and now he looks at slavery. In the ESV it says bondservant, but in most other translations it says slave. And so if you're, I wonder if you're not a Christian this morning and you're reading this. And you see Paul say, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Is Paul endorsing slavery? Like slavery is a wicked thing. Is, is Paul okay with slavery? Well, just let's take a brief detour and understand what is, is happening here. So slavery that Paul is referring to is different than the slavery that we saw in North America in the 17th through 19th centuries. And just a few instances here. So it, first off, it wasn't based on race or appearance. There were also laws protecting slaves from abuse from their master. Killing a slave merited punishment. Permanently injured slaves had to be set free. This was God's law. Slaves were to be treated as hired workers, not slaves. Think, for example, the prodigal son who, after uh, eating pig's food, is like, says, hey, you know, I'll just go be a servant, a slave for my father. At least they have a roof and food. Um, all slaves were to be free after six years. Freed slaves were to be generously supplied with grain, wine, and livestock. And then every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, all Hebrew slaves were to be freed, even those owned by foreigners. They could acquire their freedom. We see this encouraged by Paul in verse 21, where he says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. And in special cases, slaves who, did, or who had the opportunity to free themselves, they could remain with their masters if they felt that it was in their best interest. And then they oftentimes had good relations with their master. You think of the, the parable of the talents, where the master entrusted his wealth to his servants. He gave one one talent, one two talents, one five talents to do with what, what they felt was best. And so what Paul is getting at, he's not, he's not endorsing slavery, but he's saying that even as a servant, you can serve Christ faithfully. Even if God has assigned you as a slave, you can serve Christ faithfully. You can obey and honor the Lord even there. See, slaves, Paul is painting this picture here, slaves live their lives in service to a master. But Paul is saying that even if you live your life in service to a master, be reminded that you are free in Christ. You will not always be in service to this master. You are a freed man in the Lord. But what he's getting at is don't abandon your post. God has now freed you to serve in a way that is greater than it was when you were not a Christian. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. He's saying, if you are a slave, you should be the hardest working slave. He said, you should, should be able to work harder as if you are working unto the Lord himself. I have placed you there. The Lord says he's placed us where he has placed us to bring glory to himself, even in what would seem to be the lowest societal position as a slave. Then he turns to the freedman in verse 22. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So slaves live their lives in service to a master, whereas freed, those who are free live their lives in service to themselves. And Paul says, no, you're not your own master. You are actually a slave to the Lord. You're a slave to righteousness. And so he's saying whether you're a slave or free, it makes no difference. Christian, you were bought with a price. And so therefore, you must honor the Lord 
as your greatest master, whether you are a slave or whether you are a freed man. See, slaves could purchase their freedom with money. But we, prior to Christ, as slaves of sin, we could not purchase our own freedom. Justice was the purchase price. And because we have sinned against an eternal God, eternal justice is required. And so an eternal God-man had to stand in between. And Jesus did that on behalf of all those who would confess their sin and trust him as their Lord, their master, their final authority, and as their savior, the one who takes away their sin. We as slaves of sin, we couldn't purchase our own freedom. We have no ability to. But God in his kindness has provided a way for our freedom to be purchased. He sent his son to take the sin, to take the wrath that our sin deserved. And now all who would embrace that are freed men in the Lord. But we don't go from slaves to sin to just we get to do whatever we want. We go from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. Romans 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. God has purchased us at a great price. He has paid for our freedom. But he has paid for us. We are his. And so we are free to be slaves of Christ. And paradoxically, slaves of Christ, slaves to righteousness, that's where the greatest freedom is. Our highest allegiance, wherever God has called us, is to God, not to others, not to ourselves. Our social standing makes no difference. God is our master. We must serve him. Christian, you were bought with a price. Don't be enslaved to others. You see that? Don't become bondservants of men. At the end of verse 23. Further Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I a slave to man or am I a slave to God? He says, or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We are brought from slaves of sin to slaves of Christ. And that's where the highest freedom is. So serve God regardless of your social standing. Whether you're a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you work a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, whether you're wealthy or poor, single or married, kids, no kids, healthy or terminally ill, serve God where he has placed you. He is your highest allegiance and your greatest master. When you go into the public square, when you go into work, work hard. Ask for Christ. Your employer should be thrilled to have you as an employee because you seem to have a much greater work ethic than those around you. As you head into work or as you head in uh, to do chores, run errands, think about those whom God has placed around you. He's assigned you where he's assigned you intentionally. And he's uniquely gifted you for those unique opportunities to share the gospel with those who he has put in your way. Who do you need to share the gospel with this week? Parents, point your children to the joyful submission that it is to trust God's faithful hand in all circumstances. Show them how good it is to trust the Lord. You might not know what tomorrow holds, but you do know the one who holds tomorrow. 
Build that into your kids. Remind them of God's past faithfulness. Show them what it looks like to serve God faithfully in all seasons of life, even the difficult ones. Jesus himself served faithfully, even when it was difficult. We are united to him that we are called to serve God even when it's costly. So we see a call to obedience, a call to service. And now in verse 24, we see a call to remain. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Look at that closely. God does not just call us to remain. We're not just called to, to stay put. It says remain with God. Wherever God has placed us, we are not alone. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Our placement, it can change. I mean, for example, think about those who were called or saved at a young age. So it's not to say that just because you were saved at 13, you should never get a job or you should never pursue an education or never pursue family. Whatever. It's not saying that your placement can't change, but it is saying to submit every condition to your master. John Calvin put it this way. He said, men are not here bound by a perpetual necessity to stay put so as never to have it in their power to change their condition if at any time there should be a fit occasion for it but that he simply represses those thoughtless ideas which hurry men here and there so that they can be harassed by continual restlessness. He says, hey, don't be constantly thinking about what's next or what, you, what other situation would be better. He says, put, put to bed those, those careless thoughts that take you into this restless state where you're not content in the Lord. He says, don't be harassed by continual restlessness. The Christians... We're called to God. And many of the Corinthian Christians who were called to God felt like they needed to change everything. I need to leave my spouse so I can be free to, to serve the Lord. I need to forsake my ethnic background. I need to abandon my employer. Paul says, no, stay, stay put. God has called you from the circumstances that he's called you in. And he's placed you where he's placed you intentionally. It wasn't by any mistake. Remaining with God in the condition he's called you displays trust, not only in God's goodness, but also in his wisdom. So the question pops up, well, what if I'm, what if I'm leading a blatantly sinful lifestyle? Am I supposed to remain in that? Maybe I steal for a living or engaged in prostitution or drug trafficking, etc. It doesn't negate the Bible's call to flee from sin. This Staying put, the call to remain with God, assumes that you can do so without grieving the Holy Spirit. It assumes you can still pursue righteousness where you are. If that's not the case, then you do need to leave that place, that circumstance. Another question that might come up is, should I not seek to better my life? Are you saying, Rob, don't, don't take that job, or don't make a move, or don't do what's best for my family? No, not saying that. But rather saying, go slow. Seek wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. Seek wisdom from others. Ensure that your new circumstance that the Lord may be availing uh, you to walk into, make sure that new circumstance doesn't hinder you from faithfully serving your master and your king. And so Christian, don't rush to change your circumstance. If you're married husbands, remind and encourage your family of the goodness of where God has placed you. 
Count the blessings the Lord has provided. Recount them to your family. Lead them in that way. Wives, help your husbands to recognize the goodness of remaining with God regardless of your condition. Maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting. You might say, I've, I've, I have remained and things haven't gotten any better. I've tried to remain and things have only gotten worse. What now? It's a difficult question. But we have to look to the text and we have to recognize that we're not promised that life will get better this side of glory. We are not promised that. Yet, if we do remain, we are promised victory. This world will give us trouble. But take heart. Christ has overcome the world. Our hope is not in this life, but it's in God. Psalm 39 Verse 7, the psalmist cries out, he says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Remain in Christ. Don't rush to change your circumstances. Trust God's providence. Be faithful wherever he has placed you. If you remain in Christ, then you are seen by God as having perfectly kept his commandments. See that first point. We are called to obedience. If we remain in Christ, as verse 24 tells us to, then we will be seen as one who has perfectly kept God's commandments and as one who has served God perfectly. Not because we've done it, but because we've remained in the one who has. Our salvation is not based off our works, it's based off the works of Christ. And so whatever circumstance you find yourself in, can you say, verse 1 of it is well with my soul, my this is my favorite hymn for so many reasons. But verse 1. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Can you say that? Serve God faithfully in whatever circumstance he has called you. Regardless of your social status, trust God where he's assigned you. Obey and serve him faithfully there. Christ Jesus remained where the Father had placed him even at great cost to himself. And Jesus now, for all eternity, remains at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all those who are in him. And if you remain in Christ, then no matter what your circumstance, or no matter what your social status, you remain securely put at the right hand of God the Father, despite whatever your earthly circumstance may be. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for being with us no matter what station of life we find ourselves in. God, we pray that we would be content and satisfied in you wherever you place us. We pray that we would be a people who serve you well and faithfully wherever you assign us. We pray that we'd be aware of the levels of influence that you have given us and that we would use that to magnify Christ. Thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for remaining even when we wouldn't have. Thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to Press into you, 
to rely on the Holy Spirit as we go about this week, trying to live faithfully in light of this. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.